games are not just a game. Here is my life. Put the cameras on me, yeah, yeah. Put the cameras on me, yeah, yeah. Ozone is my witness, an icon like icons, keep your eyes on the mistress. Wait, what is this? A lot of pressure on me, but you don't know. Hello, everybody. It is the Brothers Miller, and you are in the Ozone. I'm so excited to be back with you. What's going on, T? I'm with the icons. Seeds. Like, get them out. We got to talk to people on the radio. So, you are Red Sox Nation, and the Red Sox Titan just went on the DL. We got so much baseball to cover. We got boxing to cover. We got a lot of social issues to cover. This is the Ozone, and I'm ready to fire it up. Get fired. So, um, I really think that this week has been a tale of two cities, the last two weeks, say, because what we've been seeing is – Socially, the social responsibility of athletes has been front and center. And on one side, we see uh, one side we see somebody doing something absolutely right, and on the other side, we see a lot of people in a sport, if you will, doing things absolutely wrong. On the right side, let's talk about LeBron James. It Again, is just I mean. This is the stuff that takes you to the greatest of all time on every level, every single level, because the stuff that he's doing with this I Promise School, if you've been living under a rock and don't know it, LeBron James opened a school yesterday in Ohio called the I Promise School that gives the children that are enrolled free tuition, free uniforms, free bicycle and helmet, free transportation within two miles, free breakfast, lunch, and snacks, Food pantry for families, GEDs and job placement services for the parents who have their kids enrolled, and a guaranteed tuition to the University of Akron for every student who graduates. Ladies and gentlemen, this man is a a one-man army. And obviously he's not just a one-man because he's got a lot of help. He's got a lot of people with him that are doing the right thing as well. But my thing that's so impressive about this is that you have to have a desire to do this and to follow it through and to implement it and to actually do it. And he's doing it in a way that is just absolutely remarkable. Just a great person. I mean, it reflects that. It reflects he's like that on the court. He's like that off the court. And I never thought it was in question if he was the greatest player because because he, you know, he does what he what's in his heart. He stands up for social injustice. He he's He's actually putting his money where his mouth is. His literal money. Yeah. They said he's fifty million. He, he, yeah, and that I don't even know if that includes the forty-one that he put up for scholarships and everything for kids. And it's just an incredible. It's an incredible example of how I don't know. Someone can take the the lemons that life gives them and make some sweet sweet lemonade because he didn't have these things as a child, and he's doing literally everything he can to make sure that other children do have it. And and this is one situation where he's speaking out about it. So we've heard him confront the president. We've heard him confront the silly uh, uh, Fox pundit that told him to shut up and dribble. And she still has something to say. Which is absurd. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, you're playing yourself if you are criticizing LeBron James at this point. You really look like a bozo because I don't even want to hear about his 3-6 and six record in the finals. I don't want to hear nothing. 
Because this guy has taken it so much beyond the court. He's taken this whole being a superstar athlete to such another level on what the expectations are. And it's a beautiful thing because all up and down my timeline on social media, I see other prominent athletes and uh, influencers, if you will, politicians, this, that, and the other, all posting this. Because I, I read a tweet the other day that says LeBron James has done more for the Department of Education than Betsy DeVos right at this point. Yeah, a billion. And he's done more than charity, more charity than Donald Trump. He's done more for families than than the government has in recent history. This is a this is an example situation that you know it's one school and it's one school that's gonna gonna be a shining light for other people to start and participate and who knows who's gonna come out of this thing. I just salute to LeBron James because to have your desire to do that kind of thing is so admirable, man. It's just so admirable. So thank God he didn't shut up and just dribble, right? Thank God he didn't shut up and dribble, and also. Thank God that 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 God Himself has blessed this kid who's fifteen from from who's been in the spotlight from fifteen years old to be uh, you know scandal free relatively and to actually become the hype that and exceed the hype that everybody put on him. It's just it's it's unreal, unreal. It sounds like it'd be really tough to stay the course in a situation like that. I can only imagine. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. It's tough today. It's tough to stay the course without all of the distractions and the, the whole song and dance. Yeah, and he's a, per, a person of good character, which stands out more than anything over his game and everything. He just stands out over his game. Yeah. <laughs> and his game is extraordinary. His skills are extraordinary. So now we want to take that and juxtapose that to what's been happening in Major League Baseball. There's a really, really disturbing trend in Major League Baseball, and I want people to really think about this. Baseball is my favorite game, my favorite sport, maybe my favorite thing. And there's a a very disturbing pattern that I think is reflective of society right now. So just today, Trey Turner spoke out and apologized for some insensitive things and remarks that he's made when he was a young man uh, on Twitter. And let's hear what Trey had to say. I want to apologize to everybody that was affected by you know things that i said uh lbgt community uh african-american community special needs community um i'm truly sorry for what i said and um i want to take full responsibility for that uh i want to apologize to you know my teammates i just had talked to them so make sure that they know you know my thoughts and where I'm at, I want to apologize to um, you know Mike Rizzo and the Nationals for uh, bringing this you know distraction you know, to their team organization. Um, sorry for that as well, and and then most importantly, apologize to the fans. You know, a lot of fans have have been sharing their thoughts uh, in the last few days, and I've gotten a chance to read a few of them. And um, you know, I think that's that's where it is. I guess the most affected by, you know, what I said, and uh, I want to apologize to those people. Um, you know, it's it's not when I said the things I said; it's it's that I said them at all. Um, I think that's that's a clear um, learning point from this to make sure that you know anybody is aware of what they're saying at all times. Um, no matter how you use it or what context you think you're using it in, um, words hurt, and uh, it's 
it's wrong and inexcusable for, you know, what I said. Um, I know as an athlete, I want to use the platform for good and make a difference uh, in a positive way. And I think um, I I can do that, and I, I want to do that. And moving forward, um, that's something that I need to look into and, and make sure that I'm I'm doing. Um, and um, just want to reiterate that I'm I'm truly sorry for what what I said. Now that was Trey Turner, uh, shortstop slash center fielder slash all around stud for the Washington Nationals, and some tweets uh, got unearthed. I don't even know if they got unearthed, but he kind of got out in front of it after another baseball player, Josh Hader from the Milwaukee Brewers, got in a, a boatload of trouble during the All Star game. When his uh, uh, mean tweets, if you will, racist tweets, um, just, just very biased tweets, prejudiced tweets, became evident. Now, here's my thing with this. I don't know. Now, I'm I'm all for understanding that kids say and do stupid stuff because they're kids. And that's that's just a part of, you know, that's just a part of life. That's what happens. And growing up with the Twitter uh, option and with social media in general, I think a lot of people, you know, write stuff before they think. And there's no such thing as private conversations for a lot of these kids, which is unfortunate because uh, they don't understand the value of that. But for me, the issue is this. What makes you want to do that? When when we look at society, you look at what makes you want to do what? What makes you want to say this stuff? Well, obviously, it was probably from his surroundings or the environment that he was in that he felt like it was acceptable at the time because he wasn't actually in the show. My thing of it is, is that is it be, is it that they got caught that they have remorse or is it just that, you know, that's actually the way they felt? And I really don't care about public, you know, apologies. apologies, because if you're not sincere, what does it matter? Well, I think he's sincere, but I'm I'm with you. I think he's yeah, sincere, but is he about sincere his, because he got caught or is he sincere? We, we have no way of knowing that. But I can see that from the young man's face that he's sincere. My point is, is even with that, what are the societies that we're growing up in, the communities that we're growing up in in America that have people so segregated that they then in turn – this is their normal dialogue, and not only their dialogue in private, it's their dialogue. They feel so confident about it that they're willing to put this stuff up on public social media. Exactly, but what, like I'm saying is that in whatever environment or cultural situation that he was in or whatever, they felt like it was all right to put that out there like that, and that's why they did it. And so it wasn't any re- kind of recourse or any kind of accountability for it, and now it is because he's in the major leagues. If he wasn't in the major leagues, if he was just a nobody, it wouldn't matter. He would just right. be another rant, uh, racist rant. You but know? see, but this is and this is this is my point. I can remember playing in uh, sport on sport teams when you would get in trouble in school or when you would say something out of line and you might miss playing time or something from the coach himself. Let alone if you had the, the platform to say something publicly like that. Trey Turner's been all world for a long time, but I don't want to just I don't want to just harp on Trey Turner. If we look at the Josh Hader situation, Josh Hader Sean Newcomb too, and and Sean Newcomb too. Sean Newcomb's came out when he was you know just about to pitch his uh, just about to pitch his no hitter, which got busted up. And uh, all the common denominators that all these guys are probably in the same age group, right? They're so, in the same age group, and they're all white males. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar, you know, it's, a, it's the same common denominator about who shoots up high schools. 
and who shoots up schools. It's a, it's, this is a, a white male thing, at least in the public light. Not that there's not non-white males doing this, but the specific venom of the white male wanting to put people down, or there's there's a superiority in the convers in in the just laced in the conversation is. I don't know, it's just evident if, you know, if you read it, you can just hear people saying this. And the same with Josh Hader. Now, the where I was going with this is, okay, it's a few years ago and everybody always wants to lean on, hey, well, you know, this was in the past and I was young and blah, 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 blah. Maybe they grew up in a town where there was not anybody of color or not anybody that was of a different sexual preference or anything like that. And they were just ignorant. We all do ignorant stuff, myself included. I've done plenty of dumb stuff in my life. Some of it documented, some of it not. And maybe, just like you said, you know, maybe this is they're actually genuinely sorry because now they've been exposed to more through being in the major leagues and through life and whatnot. But what is the logic behind Josh Hader coming in to the game and right after the scandal and getting a standing ovation in Milwaukee? This is exactly supposed to be your support, your support unit. They're standing up for you. You're a stand up guy. They're standing up for what you just completely represented, which is, which was very dark, right? <laughs> As and it did words of Terrence Howard, he was in a dark place. In man. a dark place, and it's a multicultural um, dugout, right? Well, yeah, that was the big thing with Hader on the in the in the All Star game yeah. is that they were devastated. That, you know, you saw guys seeing it come unearthed while he was pitching, like whoa. Well, that's even with the guys who stood up for him. But what also another thing is that. Who's this guy that's going out there digging up something from that far? I agree. That, I mean, you're, somebody has a lot of time on their <laughs> hands way digging too much up time. tweets from seven, six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah, and let's, you know, and then is it that, you know, it's just sick for people to even go back and look for stuff like this. Do you just, are you just going through this guy's timeline and you run across something like this? Did I mean, somebody, you know, most of these guys got tens of thousands of tweets, so you got to go, you got to <laughs> really dissect right, the timeline. That's what I'm saying. I mean, and that's not, not even including replies and mentions. <laughs> this is so, a so, of- yeah, so this guy has a problem as well. Although I'm not trying to put the guy down for finding the information, but I'm saying that you've got a lot, of times on your, a lot of time on your hand to go and find this kind of stuff. It is a lot of time. But I, I really, to me, when you're looking at society, I was at the ball game a couple of days ago, and Josh Hader came in uh, at Dodger Stadium and totally and completely carved the Dodgers. <laughs> And but when he came up, when he when he took the mound, he was booed soundly. Mm-hmm. When he had the hit, he was booed soundly. And it was something that made me proud to be an Angelino because you looked around, you saw all the boos, and you looked around, and it was people of every color and people right. and every gender were there booing this guy to let him know, hey man, you're not in the middle of nowhere. This is this is the big city, and we're all mixed up. And we're all here to eat a Dodger dog. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. What about forgiveness? Uh, he hasn't. I don't know if he's asked for forgiveness. Uh, but forgiveness has not been granted. But, I don't, you know, but it's been granted by a lot of people. And I'm not saying that you don't forgive him, Trey Turner, Sean Newcomb, any of them. What I'm saying is, is that, again, it kind of goes back towards this idea of the environment that creates that sort of angst or that sort of lash out or expression of oneself. Obviously, when somebody like how Trey Turner just apologized, you have to forgive that, that this is a if, if you want to grow yourself, you have to forgive. But I also think that uh, it's it's a little less surprising when you see who it is all the time, you know, right? It, it, it's like uh, 
again, it's it's we keep getting these glimpses now because of social media and the advent of everybody's information always being out and you know in in public the public dishwasher for everybody to get mashed up together. You keep getting all this information. You say, "Wow!" So this is how when you look at the political map of how the elections go, it's so divided. This is how we're so segregated in general. And it's kind of like that Sasha Baron Cohen show we were watching the other night that this is America. Hey man, this is this is America is has some some work to do on itself. We're America's got to hit the gym. Yeah, we're flawed. <laughs> we got to work on our game, America. We really really do. Uh but yeah, that that's that's what I wanted to lead off with, but now let's get straight into these trades because the trade deadline hit and man oh man did it go down. Yeah, there's a lot of shaking going on. A lot of moving and shaking going on. Now, what do you, what do you, which one was your, which one do you think was the most impactful move? The most impactful right now, I would have to say, of course, the Manny Machado, but you know what? There's a lot of teams that I don't feel like addressed their needs. They just went out and got, <laughs> <laughs> literally, you know, you got a lot of teams that needed like frontline pitching and they were looking for, for sticks and, you know, and other teams that need sticks and they're trying to get relievers. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of pieces that didn't mix and match. There's a lot of big names. Jonathan Scope just went to um, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is the the biggest winner in the free agency. Yeah. I mean, in the trade at the trade deadline. I know what you're talking about. And but honestly, they really didn't need Jonathan Scope like that. Uh, obviously, he's bringing a lot to the table. He can actually play shortstop, and I think people are sort of playing him out because they're saying that, oh yeah, he's a, if you move him to short though, he's like a liability. Well, he actually started out as a shortstop, so he's not a liability, but he's and he's an upgrade. They got Mike Moustakis. They got Scope now. Right. And you got two stone-cold winners in Mike Moustakis and Lorenzo Cain. Right. Who know how to get over the hump. And Christian Yellich is ripping the cover off the ball. Ripping the cover off the ball. And if they can get anything, you know, they just need to tighten up defensively. And their front line, their front line pitching, everybody needs front line pitching. And it wasn't yeah. that much out of it, out there. Yeah. But I think that what's going on and what went on in this past trade deadline is that people put too much focus or emphasis on the minor leaguers. Because a lot of teams, a lot of emphasis on the minor leagues yeah, instead of proven products in the major right. leagues. And if you can get a big time, the Dodgers actually came up, you know, because they just got that second baseman, you know, Brian Dozier. Yeah, Brian Dozier. That's a big pickup. Yeah, because they had a serious hole since they played out Howie Kendrick. They played out Howie Kendrick, and they've been playing games with Logan Forsyth, Chase Utley, with yeah. everybody and their mom. And then they traded Calhoun on top of that. Yeah, Willie so, Calhoun. So it was it, – it really they – they had a void there. They were perennially batting beneath 220 at the second base spot. But now that – That, um, that infield, infield is tight. It's tight. Muncie. And hopefully somebody can help Cody Bellinger. Hopefully they can hide Cody Bellinger somewhere now because they have a, they have a formidable lineup. Yeah, and they were trying to get an outfielder as well. You know, they were trying to actually tried to get Bryce Harper, which would have been great. I mean, and I also think it was unnecessary. Yeah, unnecessary. But in that, th- in for me, in that theory, if you can't get the pitching, what you're saying is that I'm just I gotta gonna, slug it. Yeah, out. I'm just going to slug it out with you. Yeah, until you run into the Astros or the Red Sox, and then you have a problem because they have enough pitching to slow you down. And they can slug it out. And they can slug it out. Now the Yankees, they were going after the big sticks. Still, they were still trying to <laughs> pick up big sticks, but they actually needed, you know, some frontline pitching. They picked up Lance Lynn. He's not going to hurt him, but he's definitely not going to help him. I mean, I don't know if he's definitely not going to help him. Lance Lynn's problem is inconsistency. That's the go- not going to help you. But but when Lance Lynn is good, he's good. One thing that Somebody I'm very interested to say, he's in the zone. He likes. <laughs> Shout out to the SoCal Heat. <laughs> Sunday ball team of the year. 
So no, I uh, but but my point is this: a lot of guys, in my opinion, just need that change of scenery. Yeah, and I'm very interested to see what happens with those guys that went. I think Chris Archer is a guy that can get with the right pitching coach and with the change of scenery could potentially turn his game up. I think Mike Moustakis, if you look at Mike Moustakis' numbers, Moose's numbers are not great this season. But I think that has to do with still being on a World Series high from a couple years ago. And then you wow, he's through, really intoxicated. He's freaking, <laughs> he's <laughs> World Series, dude, he's yeah, high. That's not driving. <laughs> no, but point being is that you go from winning and playing for for something to just being out there and playing baseball. And for people who've been in competitive situations, we all know the difference between those that mindset. Right. Certain guys get it done regardless, and their skill set is just overwhelming so that they can get it done no matter who it is, you know, no matter what the scenario is. But I think other guys, the fresh start, the the playoff hunt, I think that matters. I really think it matters. And I think Moose is one of those guys. I think Archer could potentially be one of those guys. Manny Machado's going to get it done regardless. Yeah. But with Archer, I just think that his is not even getting with a new pitching coach because Tampa Bay is pretty good at developing young pitchers. I think that one of the things that would help him is just a change of an environment. Yeah. And then changing that attitude of getting him into it. But can you change that in that short period of time? You don't know. Yeah. And then know. I think the Braves might have came up with Gosman because Gosman doesn't I seem felt like. like I, this is what I was going to say. I felt like the Braves and the Brewers are the best. And the Braves also came up with Adam Duvall. Yeah. Because Adam Duvall is a guy, he's like he's made for this generation where he can work on launch angle and he can hit bombs and he can give them some extra pop in that lineup with Freddie Freeman, that guys that drive the ball out of the park. So now the Braves got speed and power. Right. Which basically they're working on a baby Houston Astros package over there. Right. And only thing that they need is their Verlander, if you will. They need a frontline dude monster. that's a monster. That's Fulton a shutdown never, guy. Never actually panned out like that. And, and, and looks it's like, not over. He's still yeah. young. It's but just it looks that like he has Sean a, Newcomb is actually going to turn into that person. Potentially, but you need a couple guys. You don't, you yeah. know, it's not, you, you need guys that you can count on all the time. Not, not every now and then or not a maybe. Guys that you know, you know what? This guy's going to keep me in the game and give me a chance to win the ball game tonight. And I think that the Astros. And Julio Turan is not that guy. Right. I think the Astros actually came up because they got Roberto Asuna, and that's being big for them because they needed somebody at the back end of their bullpen. And that just solidifies what they're all about, you know? And what's interesting with that is. Is I was reading an article that was uh, that was a real backlash. Houston and uh, Jeff Lunau was catching a really big backlash, talking about forgiveness, like you're saying, uh-huh. because of the pending domestic violence charge that he has, and the Toronto police officers who supposedly to this day still talk about that crime scene, the way that he beat up his woman, and uh, it, it it they caught a lot. I've been reading a lot about the backlash Verlander, about bringing yeah. him on. Verlander actually said that he doesn't change his position because he came out against a kid earlier this year who had actually had domestic violence issues, and he said that he still stands stands firm on what he believes, and you know about domestic violence, which is that he's not accepting it. I'm not mad at him, and I yeah. and ain't nobody gonna bully Justin Verlander around, <laughs> right? But not only that, though, even with Asuna or whatnot, you have to give these guys the chance to have their day in court. What we're for doing, sure. What we're doing is holding trial in. Public opinion, public the court opinion. Of public yeah, opinion. Yeah, we we need to let let the everything out. Let let's hear the information first. Right. It's not like we saw the video, you know, of anything going on. I'm not even giving them a pass. But I'm saying, if we go through our due process, then we need to hear the evidence and everything else before and let him go to court before we hope, uh, find him guilty. Wow. Okay. 
Um, I do think the Red Sox came up because I think Ian Kinsler actually, even though he doesn't have a lot left in the tank, I think Ian Kinsler is a guy that can be clutch when the situation is right. He's mm-hmm. been there before. He's been in clutch situations when he was in Texas, when he was in Detroit. And playing – these guys are super-duper competitive. So playing for something is like night and day between, you know, right. not playing for something. Right. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting that the Nationals just held. I also thought it was interesting that Mike Rizzo decided to DFA uh, Sean Kelly. Sean Kelly threw a tantrum on the on the bump. While – up twenty five to one, twenty five yeah. to four, whatever. Said, it was. And now he changed his tune since he got DFA'd and said that, oh, yeah, that was because um, I was mad at the umpire for, for squeezing me. That's not true. That's and that's not acceptable. No, because they pay you to play. You're not playing on Sunday league and anything. They're paying, <laughs> you're paying you, to play. you know, a lot of money. Now they're not. <laughs> so you they're know. not paying you. <laughs> <laughs> you you got your walking papers, as they say. That man gave you your walking papers. He did, and you had that man's paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Um interesting trades i mean they did you know the tommy fam trade was was something man they they slid tommy out tommy hasn't been performing this season well it's not even more than that tommy's supposed to have got into it with somebody in the front office i think which is a bad decision when you're trying to keep your job yeah and he <laughs> just he just literally got his opportunity last year to play because we had we had seen him a couple of times at the stadium and he produced i mean every chance he got he produced but then this was like two years ago before he got a regular gig Right. But since he's at the regular gig, he showed you that he should be in the show. He needs to be in the show, and he needs to be in the starting, in the top side of the lineup. Yeah, but he should do well in Tampa Bay. I agree. Man. I agree. I mean, Fresh start. They got a young team over there, mm-hmm. and they can build something. They're surprisingly and, competitive in the American League East with you know a fraction of the payroll of the other monsters in the American League. I think that Major League Baseball needs to get to a point where they make it not just with the parity, but make these teams that aren't making a lot of money, but make them have to be competitive in some form of fashion because a lot of teams like the the Rays or some they just you know they fold up their tent early in the season and then they just become a, I don't know about a farm that. team for the rest of well they they experiment with stuff that they wouldn't experiment if they were winning like this, this but the Rays have been winning though that's the thing I mean I know what you're saying but I, I understand what you're saying in general but the Rays have been you know. They've, the Rays have talent. They haven't been winning. They haven't won to have a winning season probably well, they, for like they compete. six I, years. Yeah, I don't know if they've been winning. <laughs> I, was, I was loose with my tongue. <laughs> you were loose right I there. Was, uh, loose there was looseness, Tony, in my tongue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I also like the move in the outfield for the Indians with Leonis Martin going over there. He's not. A, I, he could be an impact player, but he's not, you know, at this point. I know that watching, I remember in my mind's eye, I remember the Indians versus the Cubs and how that kid Tyler Naquin cost them the World Series in certain ways. And, man, you just, to actually get the chip, so you have to be so airtight in so many different ways. Yes, and, you know, but I feel like Cleveland has a problem because for the simple fact, their front line pitching isn't what it used to be. No. You know, you lost Danny Salazar. Yeah. And uh, Carrasco is up and down. Yeah. And Trevor Bowers today. Uh huh. Trevor Bowers tight, but airtight. Yeah. But, Corey Kluber gets rocked every now yeah, and then. Corey, <laughs> he likes to play every around. now and then. Yeah, every now, now and not. But he's still this is the latter part of the season, which it usually catches up with everybody. And he's been getting roughed up for the past few starts. So you can't. You know they have they have holes, and I don't think that they're another team that shouldn't be going out and trying to get another stick. You don't need a stick, especially when Andrew Miller is out. Now. Exactly. You have to. They wouldn't got Brad Hand though. They did get Brad Hand, which I was very impressed mm-hmm. with. Uh, and I was also impressed with the Diamondbacks going to get Ziegler. Yeah. Again, <laughs> they're a repeat offender. <laughs> they, they love his they, work. They love a good Brad Ziegler. They, they love his work. Ah, a little surprised that Colorado didn't do much or more. Colorado needs to stamp out because their front, their pitching, is had, they had the best 
month of July in their history. That was like I think a three point three one ERA overall. Yeah, at home too. Like yeah, they were dealing at home. Yeah, they brought it. They they're you know cultivating all that young talent. They're bringing it up and they're producing. Side note too, to go back to the Lance Lynn thing, you know, Lance Lynn is not going to be. They say he's going to be a spot starter, but he's going to supposed to be long relief. And you know, their whole goal is just to get five quality five innings and dive to get to that bullpen, which is now airtight. Yeah, um, but 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 even with that, they're talking about now taking Sonny Gray out and putting Lance Lynn. I just read it a few seconds ago. Because uh, Sonny Gray just got gutted again. Again, yeah, and I don't gutted think, like catfish. And I don't. And I don't think that Jay Happ is the answer. I don't I, think I, it, I take Happ over Lynn. I take Happ over Lynn, but I don't think Happ or Lynn are the answer to no. beat the the Red Sox or the the Astros. No, I don't. I don't believe that. No, they have the Yankees definitely have holes in their starting lineup, and to me, I would take the model of everybody else and get these kids out of the minor leagues. What do you have yeah. to lose? Yeah. You know, if they come out and they're, you know, and Yankees have never been shy about spending money, so why are you worried about their service time? Let them up. Chance yeah. Adams just almost had a no-hitter the other day. Let him up. Yeah. Sheffield doesn't strike out a lot of people, but he's actually effective. An, yeah, he has an ERA that's under three, I do believe. And talk to me, finally, about Cole Hamels. That's a, about this is Hamill. <laughs> I don't think Hamill has anything left, honestly. Yeah? I really don't. I mean... He's been through wars, as they like to say, although they're just baseball games. <laughs> and he he really – the Cubs seem to have a fault. And I don't – I can't put my finger on their hole. But they – Wilson Contreras is not hitting consistently. And I think that they needed to focus on, which they went and tried to do, is fill their holes with Hamill. But you have Mike Montgomery. You have Quintana. Those He's are, got injuries and with you got, Bryant. Yeah, and, and they went – Tried to fix you, Darvish, of course, and now he's completely broken, probably out of the league. Yeah. So now you have John Lester. And who else? You get John Lester and, <laughs> and your boy and your boy Hendricks to try to slow roll everybody. And it's not working. Right, it's lately. not working anymore. They caught up with him. So the Cubs are in trouble. I know that they were your team that you picked. They were my team. I, I thought don't think I was they expecting it. more. Chatwood gave us nothing with with Chicago. And now he's in the bully. Uh, Quintana's a bum, low key. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, that's a, that is a surprise to me. To be I honest. think that you can get five and dive out of Hamill, but their bullpen is not built like that. To you know, for five out. divers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they need guys to at least go seven for him. And especially with Brandon Morrow, he can't stay off the DL. Hmm. Uh-oh. Now Sonny Gray's got some old racist tweets popping up. Oh, really? As we speak. Uh-oh. I think it's just one. Uh, but How the, many do you need? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what can you do? Tell me this. What is going on with everybody getting foot and mouth disease? I don't know. If it's in New York, though, you need to stay away because they play around with the foot and mouth. <laughs> well, how, do you, how do you get foot and mouth disease? Can you tell me? I have no idea. I, I don't want to know. <laughs> really, I don't want any part of foot and mouth. Neither do I. I don't even like the way it sounds. Just give me a regular old flu. Foot and mouth. Ugh. That sounds like you've been <laughs> sucking on your feet and your hands at the same time. And there's a hoof involved somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <ugh. laughs> Split up. Oh, the swine. <laughs> Had me some chops last <laughs> night. <laughs> That's what the sw- <laughs> wow. <laughs> Interesting swine. Gave me a little deliverance. <laughs> yeah. Baseball is going to be interesting. And, you know, and the trades aren't done still. So we'll see yeah, how, it, how, out it, there. how it continues to shake out. I think in about a week or two we'll be able to figure it all out. The landscape. Let's see what the landscape yeah, is. Yeah, because the Pirates, they actually look. If they can get their, their front, their nine, their starting eight, rather, to perform, they should be in contention. You know, because they have the pitching and they have the back end of the bullpen. Hmm. 
They definitely got sticks. But the sticks aren't performing up the code. No. They got him though, and, <laughs> and and part of it, and part of what that is is injury. You got Corey Dickerson who's lighting the league up. He's having all those leg problems, which you know fast guys have, right? And uh, and power guys, and and Josh Bell hasn't seemed to have the same season this year. You know, the league caught up to him a little bit, caught up to him, and we'll see now in the second half if he'll be able to make some adjustments. And Josh Harrison, Josh Harrison is showing you that he needs protection. But they don't have a solid number two hitter if he's leading off to put any kind of threat into pitchers to make them throw him more fastballs. Right. Which is obviously going to hurt him because he needs protection. Right. But I want to move on to boxing now because we got a lot of uh we got a lot of action and a lot of talking that's going down. As expected, Mikey Garcia beat the crap out of Robert Easter Jr. As expected. Um I thought it was interesting that how much support Robert Easter had there. From other, you know, high-end fighters. Broner, Spence. Javante Davis. Mm-hmm. Everybody kept trying to, like, talk it, speak it into existence. They, they knew you. <laughs> you, you. You played too much. Oh, they knew. You know. Man, Mikey looked good. He looks great. Honestly, when I, I went and watched some of his old fights after he was talking about he wanted to fight Earl Spence, and even you can go on YouTube and watch him uh, uh, fight, uh, spar against a 300-pound guy. And Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and then a couple of kids and things like that. I honestly think he might give Earl Spence a problem. I didn't think that before, but just watching the way that he carries himself and understands the discipline and him and his brother understand a bit the discipline of the sport, I think that he would give him a problem. I don't know if he would beat him, but I know he's, he's going to give him a problem because Easter is bigger, taller than Earl Spence, and he was able to overcome that because Easter came out establishing that jab. He, didn't, he couldn't establish anything else behind it, and that's because Mikey took it away from him. It wasn't just like he didn't want to. Mikey just took it away from him. But that part of the reason he's able to overcome that and he took it away from him is because Robert Easter Jr. doesn't have any power, which Earl Spence has in bundles. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't. I think that he just never let him get that power shot off because what he did do— I don't think he has power like that. I he, he doesn't have power, but I'm saying what he did do was that he kept him off balance. He made him go backwards. He made him, Now, Earl Spence does have better lateral movement, although— He's got better lateral movement. He's got better hand speed. I don't think he's, he has better hand speed. He's— Bigger, like a lot bigger. bigger. And for Mikey to jump up those 12 pounds, I think Mikey's going to be slower. Well, I think that the height more so than anything should bother bother a person like Mikey more so than the size because Easter is almost six feet tall and Earl Spence is 5'9". Yeah, I don't. I just don't. And, think and it's Mikey's the right five move. seven, so that's only a two inch difference right there. I think of, obviously it's not a great move for him, but there has been you know people who have been able to move through and up like that. And I think that he's the probably the most fundamental fighter, fundamentally sound fighter in the game. I don't know if he's more fundamentally sound than Gennady, but he's he's very very fundamentally sound. I think that Gennady. Is not. I think that I take Mikey as far as fundamentals. I take Mikey over Gennady. I don't know. And Anthony Gennady, Joshua is second to me. I would Gennady take Mikey. Has that he has that Olympic fundamentals with him. You know, just like Joshua. And yeah. I and I would take. I would take. I would go Mikey, Joshua, and then Gennady. Wow, Mantel the champ. He's gonna come give it to you. Uh, no, he's not. He's still my favorite fighter. That had nothing to do with nothing. He doesn't be fundamentally sound. He got the crazy one, two, three, fours. Uh, he's got him. Man, I've been watching Canelo work out, and he seems like he's working only body combinations. <laughs> that should his, let them know. With his, uh, have you been watching him? Uh-huh. On, yeah, he said, uh-huh. I, got <laughs> I got you, dog. <laughs> yeah, he seems like all I, I haven't seen one jab. All I see is body shots. 
or, or or big hooks, big hooks, big hooks. Yeah, he's and like it, old Reverend Hooks. And, uh, <laughs> and and it's it's interesting. He looks a lot smaller. I mean, he oh, looks no question, a he's lot smaller. smaller. But I don't, you Which know. Which should give him better hand speed, but like I yeah, said before. Speed. He yeah. looked great last fight than as far as his hand Everybody looks great when they're working out. What about in the ring? <laughs> it's a different ball game. I can look great and <laughs> put the camera on. You look great working out. <laughs> but when it comes down to it and you have to step, uh-huh, you have to step in that, that squared circle, Randy Piper. Yeah, and the boogeyman's in there. Yeah, uh, because how is he going to react? He hasn't been, he hadn't had a tune-up fight. He hasn't done anything. No. He's basically just had a knee surgery. People, yeah. people, I know I harp on it, but people sleep. He had yeah. a knee surgery. It's not something you want to come off of into a major, major fight. And he has to get acclimated to getting hit again. He's not going to find a sparring partner unless he goes up really high in weight to get hit like he's going to get hit on the 15th. Yeah, this is true. Um, very interesting article on Bad Left Hook today that I, that I like, which is uh, the BWAA is finally trying to do something about bad officiating. About time. So let, listen, here's the, here's the statement that they wrote. The Boxing Writers Association of America has an obligation to boxing. So we would like to announce the BWAA officials watch list. A quarterly list that the BWAA will post in April, August, and uh, December here on the website. Much thought went into this decision, including the valued opinions from a combined group of over 30 BWAA members, general media, broadcast media, state commission, and officials associated with professional boxing who were in favor of the move. The BWAA officials watch list will begin each time with the preamble seen below explaining our protocol, followed by the formatted list, naming the judge, judges, or referee, the fight outcome, date, and place, complete with a brief explanation as to why a judge or referee is being placed on the list. And now here's the preamble. Boxing is a sport where ring judges and referees are rarely held accountable for the poor performances that unfairly change the course of a fighter's career and in some instances endanger lives. The Boxing Writers Association of America is instituting a quarterly watch list with the intention of calling attention to what we believe are egregious errors in scoring by judges and conducted by referees that fall short of acceptable standards for refereeing. This list is not all-inclusive. It reflects instances of particularly poor performance that have been brought to our attention. We encourage all BWAA members and others to email their concerns regarding officiating to the President Joseph uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. No, to <laughs> President Joseph Santo Licuquito. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, I think finally that makes sense. What makes sense it was what I was saying before right after that Gennady uh, travesty was that they need to be held social ransom at least. I mean, you put them out there. You want to hide? You want to and they just and let me tell you the first person on their list was that fight with Rugaru. Mm. Regis Pro Gray, uh, uh Ozone guest and a really nice guy. Uh beat the crap out of that guy Juan Jose Velasco and the first person that's on the top of this watch list is referee Lawrence Cole from Dallas, Texas. Regis Progray KO'd uh, eighth round Velasco in Louisiana. After round seven, Velasco told his trainer, Herman Caicedo, that he no longer wanted to continue. Um, Caicedo told his charge, what do you mean you don't want to go anymore? What's wrong with you? Come on. You can't give up on me now. He then sent his fighter out for round eight. 
45 seconds into round eight, Velasco was knocked down for the third time in the fight and spat out his mouthpiece. He then stood up, shook his head, and walked away with his back to Pro Gray, indicating to referee Lawrence Cole that he no longer wanted to fight. But instead of stopping the bout, Cole instructed Caicedo to rinse the mouthpiece out and ordered that the fight continue. Less than 10 seconds later, Velasco sank to the canvas after a glancing blow to the temple. Cole ruled a slip, wiped Velasco's gloves, and instructed that the beating resume. Finally, after another 35 seconds of unnecessary punishment, Caicedo threw in the towel and the fight ended. Sound like he had some money on that fight. <laughs> but this is what's interesting. You know, it's interesting that there's a, uh, man, that that's. Sound like money's. But it's interesting that they're putting them on blast. Good. Yeah, but it's, they need to be held accountable. Why is it that they get to hide? The umpires don't get to hide in baseball. The referees don't get to hide in basketball or in football. They don't have to answer a press conference. I would even go as far as having a press conference. But what I don't want to do is to have these guys, you can't even see their faces. They're just like pretty much blended into the crowd. They're facing the crowd, and they can disappear. <laughs> they can disappear. Uh, I, I, I just love that. I love that somebody's finally, more and more folks, you, you see the, the things that we propose here in the Ozone start to get implemented. Yeah. And you know where it started. But you and I know what's going on. Yeah, just like these things with these guys that are using the juice in the ring. Why don't we give them a three strikes and you're out, just like everything else. We have the three-strike rule. They need the three-strike rule because a guy like Povetkin that's getting ready to fight again or Canelo, you know that you have one more chance. And I would even – I'm just get, being generous by giving you three. You are being very generous. I, I feel think like it, I two think should, is too many. I think it should matter with your weight too. I don't think that it – I think because, the heavyweight should get one. Yeah, no, I, I feel like damage is damage. It doesn't damage matter. Damage is damage. But a damage from a guy that weighs 250 pounds versus a guy that weighs 130 pounds is a big difference. But it's relative because when you're talking about the weight classes, that 125-pound guy, even 130-pound guy that's hit me – it's the same thing as if a guy... You don't weigh 130. I, you're trying to cheat. I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> you want a test? <laughs> <laughs> test me. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they just need to come up with a system whereas when these guys test dirty, they're going to take a loss, and then eventually they take the ultimate loss, which means that you can't fight in the States anymore. Wow. Look at Povetkin. Why should he? Why should he get an opportunity to fight? I mean, he's been, he, this is like his fourth offense. <laughs> Something fourth like offense. that. This Obviously, he's in spon- He's involved in state sponsored doping, right? Um, which is why the Russians didn't have an Olympic team uh, in, in any sport. <laughs> um, and Joshua just straight up came out and said he's looking past B- Povetkin. Right? He said he's not even worried about Povetkin. He's looking past him to Wilder. But now Wilder is saying that there is no doubt that he'll be fighting Tyson Fury. He's saying him, yeah, they, they, him and Fury are as close, and he's supposed to show up at the ring for Fury's next fight for like a WWE kind of situation. And, uh, and Tyson Fury's going to give him fight. a problem. That awkward style. I, the fundam- <laughs> any fundamentally sound fight is going right. to give him a problem. And let's hear what Tyson Fury had to say. Chance you might never fight Anthony Joshua. Who, me? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to. The way that Eddie Earn and Anthony Joshua deal, I don't think that fight's possible to make. Because they're not fair. Because if they was fair, they'd be fighting Wilder, wouldn't they? And they're saying it's hard to deal with, and I'm telling you, it's very easy to deal with. I've never met straight and nicer people in my life, ever. But when you're trying to treat somebody else like a dosser, and you want everything, and you want to give them nothing, then the fight isn't going to happen, is it? I've told Eddie Earn anyway, there will be no fight unless he, if, unless they play fair and on a level playing field. And that's it. And if they don't want to do that, they can go suck my big airy nuts. And is that just a level playing field financially, or is that across, across Everything. The there's no, there's no, if you can't be fair in boxing, forget about it. 
It's a gentleman's sport. There's no room for crooks and businessmen. It's got to be fair. Everything's got to be fair. 50-50. Everything's got to be straight. There's no, there's no like skullduggery because fights ain't going to happen. I ain't going to be trapped like a dosser for nobody, for no amount of money. It's not about money for me anyway. What's a few quid? I'm already a millionaire. If I make another 10 million, it ain't going to affect my life anyway. A few more pounds in the bank don't mean nothing anyway. Um, it's about being right and being straight with people and being fair because I've been fucked over and robbed too many times in my life to, to happen again and again and again. So it ain't going to happen again. I promise you that. So if they don't want to play fair, then there's no fight. Simple as. I can't say any fairer. I'm a very fair man. I've never robbed anybody for tenor in my life. And I don't intend to either. You're a man for the big occasion, as we saw in Dusseldorf and countless other times. Wembley against Joshua, biggest fight ever in British, British boxing. That must be something that really... Not interested at all. Doesn't even take on me fancy because when you're messing with a pair of villains, then you can't do business with them. Simple. Unless they want to play straight or fly in a straight direction, there'll be no business ever. You heard it here first. I told Eddie Earn straight. I said, look, unless you're prepared to play fair, don't come and knock on my door ever because I'm not interested in your bullshit negotiations. It shows you how great they are when they won't even fight Wilder because they want to offer him $8 million or something. It's just a load of nonsense. If the fight, if it's fair, then we fight. If it's not, they stick it. Tyson Fury, the it's former full heavyweight of, champ. full of crap. He's not going to be a doser for anyone now, huh? <laughs> Am I? It's always funny. If you say so, man. <laughs> Do you? Oi, yeah. <laughs> they ask the question and answering the question. It's very interesting. Um, but it's interesting as well because there's almost like a, a collusion between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder mm-hmm. against Anthony Joshua, because who is he the wa- biggest draw out of all of them. Yeah, and he wanted to fight Joshua and... Uh, who? Uh, uh, Fury. Oh, well, Fury's, you know, he's just getting back to being able to fight anybody on a higher level. He's got, this is going to be his third tune-up fight. Right, and the other you know. one was ridiculous. The other two, yeah I, yeah. I don't think. The last one was ridiculous. Yeah, but he's just getting himself together. And I don't blame him, actually, because I blame him for starting to do coke and going away from the game and then coming back. But honestly, if you are going to come back, this is the safest way to come back when you're dealing with the heavyweights is to get some rounds right. and not try to be the macho man and just decide to jump up and punch I think that up he's going to get down. He's going to give Wilder a problem, but Wilder's going to knock him out probably because he's just sloppy. I mean, the guy's sloppy. Although it could be an ugly situation because Wilder is not fundamentally sound. And then that's the thing. And I don't think that. Tyson Fury is not fundamentally sound. He just doesn't have pop, and his body is awkward. He's it's he, not that it's not that he's, he's that's, not that's and that's his style. Is he has an, an awkward style that gets gets weird, <laughs> and I think that that's what causes a lot of guys' problems. And you know, I wouldn't mind seeing him and Wilder mix it up. But how about your boy King Kong Ortiz with the knockout drops on on the undercard of Mikey's fight? King Kong is still devastated about that loss. He's devastated. Said it wasn't even a real loss. Said it was a half loss. <laughs> A no, it was dead. real. It was real. You got knocked out. Maybe you don't remember. Three times. You got knocked out. They gave, they gave <laughs> you got knocked piece. out once. Uh-huh. <laughs> they gave you three piece. No biscuit. No biscuit. No warranty. Yeah. I, but, you know, at least he uh, at least he steps back. Yeah, and he's trying to fight some of the big guns. And then, I mean, a lot of times you just use common sense. Why? What is the motivation for these guys to fight him? What's the motivation? Just to get into a fight? I mean, they're not going. They're not going to make anybody like. That. I can head down to the local pub for that, can I? <laughs> yeah, you can, mate. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, take a chance of losing my belt. And then him, you know, he's not going to draw that many people. I would be the, I don't know the about main that draw. Because you know what? The, between his fight with Wilder mm-hmm. and knocking this dude out the other night, he's actually growing. You heard how people were cheering him on. He's growing in popularity, man. You knock people out or you get knocked out in a Do good you? way, people watch. Right. Now, even when it comes down to that, if they fought in the U.K., people would be there to see Joshua. They would fill the stands. Joshua versus who? Joshua versus Ortiz. You're talking about eighty to 90,000 people to come and watch Joshua and Ortiz. Of fight. course. But why, where, where did you come up with Joshua Ortiz? Well, I'm just talking about him being able to bring, draw fans. He, he wouldn't be able to draw fans. Like, I don't okay, believe that he see, can draw fans. Here's the thing. No matter who Anthony Joshua fights in England, it's going to be primarily people in the U.K. that want to see Anthony Joshua fight. Unless he fights Tyson Fury, and Tyson Fury's also, they might need to go do that in, like, a mega dome because they Manchester? could probably sell, like, 150,000 seats. Mm. You know, they, that could be, like, those old Joe Lewis matches that you see at Yankee Stadium, which is, like, just Somebody get knocked the spark out. Somebody can get knocked spark out, and I don't think it's going to be AJ. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um and then Dillian White, I didn't get to see the fight. It was I, I guess it was on the zone or whatever it was, but it's on one of those. I saw uh, some of the highlights. I didn't get to see it, but everybody seemed surprised that Dillian White pulled off the upset against Joe Parker. I was surprised, but especially I'd like to see the fight, especially since he was out of shape. I mean, he didn't Dillian look, White was. Yeah, he didn't look like he was in shape. Oh, really? Yeah, and Parker looked like he tried to. After the Joshua fight, I heard him speak a couple of times talking about he needed to change his style a little bit. Mm. And that looked like it hurt him because he's not the type of the, the come forward type of guy. He's more of a big guy that's light on his feet. And that looked like it was effective against Joshua. But so you see when you get in there. Bang it's with your, the, but it's not something that people want to pay for. Yeah. And so he, he felt like he could have been more effective against Joshua if he would have done a little bit more. He said it himself. But then he took it the wrong way when he took it in there with White. <laughs> yeah. White gave him some knockout drops. He put him to sleep? Well, no, he dropped him, but it looked oh, like he Oh, okay. <laughs> I, was about to say, I thought it went the distance. Nah, he, he, he might as well put him to sleep. I saw that head rocker. That head. Oh, really? See, I, I didn't saw, even see I the saw, highlights. I sent it to you. The I link. I saw that. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I didn't see the link. Uh, and then on some, some fights of this weekend coming up for fights that people are – basically trying to keep their career alive. We got a Andre Berto versus Devin Alexander fighting at 147. And you also got Jay Leon Love and Peter Quillen, a.k.a. Kid Chocolate. I like Chocolate in that fight, and I like uh, I actually like Alexander in the Berto-Alexander matchup, but we'll see what's what. Ooh, knockout drops. I just saw it. Left hook. Oh, my goodness. Please don't get my jaw rocked like that. Um... Yeah, but the state of uh, the state of boxing is alive and well, and uh, you man, think it's well? I think it's well because people are even talking about boxing. I hear more now about boxing than I hear about. Uh, I hear more about boxing now than I do about UFC. So to me, that means the state of boxing is is in good shape. They just have to squash some of the corruption. I understand they're going to have a little bit in yeah, there. Somebody's going to always way, steal, <laughs> but it's always way too far. Well, I the, mean, the with stables, time decisions. The, the stables, and the corruption are the number one uh, public enemy number one against boxing. So we need to Without destabilize. Question. They got to destabilize <laughs> the situation. And then, and then the the last thing is, and and I'm sure we'll have him on Showtime. Sean Porter and Danny Garcia finally made their fight official. Official. And they had a press conference, and uh, they're going to be fighting the week before the Golovkin Canelo fight. That's pretty smart. Yeah, this is going to be in. This is this is a good year for boxing. Who do you good have year for boxing? Put you on the spot. Tough call. You're on the spot. 
I'm going with Showtime. Yeah. But I don't know. I, don't I think know. it's going to go to a decision. I don't think nobody's getting knocked out. Yeah. A lot of pressure. You know, there's a lot of pressure. With Sean moves forward. Sean moves forward, but Danny's a good fighter. He's a good boxer. Yeah. He's got heart, too. Yeah, and he's got and heart. And he's never been off his feet. And that's a problem because Sean has been off his mm-hmm. feet. And I think that if he works the jab, Sean could have a long day ahead of him. Just because of size, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sean's, Sean's got great lateral Sean, movement. Sean's got great lateral movement. He gets inside well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he smothers his punches, though, because he gets inside the way that he and does. And he's strong for his size. Yeah, and I think he's going to make that fight rough. Mm-hmm. You know, so Showtime is is the homie. So I'm going to roll with Showtime. Okay. Uh, I love Showtime. Sean Porter on the Lakers Basketball Network. <laughs> <laughs> yep, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're dealing with. A little boxing, a little baseball. you have anything else you'd like to cover today, my brother? Uh, let's see. I'm sure there's something. I don't have anything off the top of my head, though, but we have a little bit of football going on. Jerry Jones has been, you know. Oh, man, Jerry Jones <laughs> is on blast. Yeah, because he thinks he's got a plantation going on. Wow. Would you like to play the clip of Jerry Jones and, and the the reporter uh, who put him on blast? Let's hear it. Jones and his son, Stephen, were saying the other day that any player who takes a knee and doesn't toe the line during the national anthem won't be playing for the Dallas Cowboys anymore. It's incredible to me that a player can beat up a woman and play for the Dallas Cowboys. A player can use illegal drugs time and time again and still play. But you take a knee to protest the racial injustice in America, and now you've crossed a line that he will not allow. Jones loves and respects the national anthem so much that when it was being played before the start of practice Saturday, he left his cap on. And when he was told about the mistake he was making, he still left his cap on. He who makes the rules apparently doesn't have to follow them. Big Dale laying it out Right on point. He is dead on. I mean, come on, man. Where does Jerry Jones, you pay these guys to play. You don't own them. They need to turn this, change his term about owners because he even speaks to other people in other venues as, you know, talks, he speaks down to people. I don't really, I really don't care for Jerry Jones's work. No. <laughs> no. And, and as far as him being a guy who, who wants to act like he has a plantation, he has a plantation mentality, and I'm really not a fan of that. <laughs> I don't need the tree on my back. <laughs> Just like Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't put his hand across his. Doesn't know the words. Yeah, come on, man. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back at you with the ozone. It's a nice hot day out. Summertime, fine, and we're almost getting to the bro, the real grind of Major League Baseball, and I couldn't be happier about it. It's coming up soon, folks. Take care of yourselves out there. I'm going to leave you with a little quote from Lao Tzu. To attain knowledge, add things every day. To attain wisdom, remove things every day. Take care of yourselves, folks. Protect your circle. Protect your energy. This is the Ozone. Ozone. I'm just living the dream. I'm in love with the lights. This is my-